into sports. 20 yards out, Ursa shoot, don't shoot! Oh, oh what a goal for Fabinho! Wow! Then get into the all new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do you do? You get a slap. Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Have you seen anything like that? I'm a very confident front runner. I've carried for 33 years, 145 wins now, and that's the best win I've ever had. I have no idea what you have. I don't know. How are we going to count all the shots? I, I, I can't keep track. I don't think he's pleased. Of course you would. That's a, that's a particularly stupid question. If they are, of course you want to play at the weekend. All right, you're very welcome along to a special golf weekly. Nathan's with you this afternoon. Fionn is here as well. Fionn. Hey, Nathan. Peter Laurie, good afternoon. Nathan, how you getting on? No Joe uh, this afternoon. He will be back for the regular pod on Thursday when we will, of course, be dissecting the somewhat insane finish to the Genesis Invitational last night. As you're all well aware at this stage, we're moving to Patreon on March 11th, you can sign up at otbsports.com forward slash golf weekly. It's $3.99 a month. You get yourself that guaranteed podcast every week. You get the bonus episodes of major weeks, the live watch alongs for the final rounds of the majors, big name interviews, and all this as well, a life on tour series where we're going to start checking in with PGA Tour pros on a regular basis who will give us the truth of what's happening out on tour rather than Peter's increasingly ill-informed speculation, <laughs> except for that one time where he knew that Rory was having a child and uh, threw us all under the bus with Rory's manager. Uh, So get on to (laughs) otbsports.com forward slash golf weekly. Sign up and thank you to everybody who signed up already. Uh, We've been blown away with the response. So our special guest is a man who we'll be keeping a very close eye on over the next few months and checking in with on a regular basis. He is a two-time PGA Tour champion. He won the Quicken Loans International in 2015 and the Barbasol Championship in 2018. He's at six other top three finishes, including at Bay Hill, and at Hilton Head, he is a soft ambassador. Troy Merritt, you're very welcome to Golf Weekly. Lads, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's good to be on the show. It's a real pleasure to have you, uh, particularly after such a busy stretch. As we were just saying you've been playing the last six weeks, but we can't have too much sympathy at your busy lifestyle. You've just come from Riviera after finishing in the top 20 of Pebble Beach. It's not too bad. Uh, no, those two places, especially when Riviera is playing like it was last week when the sun's out and it's firm and fast, that golf course is one of the best we play on tour each year. And, and Pebble Beach is just a special place uh, for really anybody if, you, if you're able to, to get out there. And, and Spyglass Hill, which is kind of the offside for us there, has really grown on me well. Both, of the, both are in my top five. So, yeah, nice finish at Pebble. And then a, a little unfortunate Friday last week at Riviera. Yeah, he ended up missing the cut by a, a single shot at the end. And what a weekend it ended up being. I mentioned there the insanity of the playoff. It is nighttime here. So for us, the PGA Tour is perfect, relaxing, feet up on the couch, Sunday night, half 10, maybe a glass of wine, chilled out. And last night was, well, really the last three, four weeks have been as good as it gets. But that playoff between Max Homa and Tony Finau, do you tune in or the second the weekend is done, are you tuning out? You know, for me, uh, typically I tune in just a little bit, 
Uh, unfortunately for the golf watching, I was not watching it last night. I was watching my Iowa Hawkeyes and Luca Garza become the all-time leading scorer in, in program history. Uh, they went ahead and beat Penn State by six. And then I uh, flipped over just in time to catch Tony missing his putt in the playoff hole on number 14 to, to see Max uh, take the W. But, yeah, fantastic finish. Uh, it seems like there's always one at Riviera. And like you said, the last few weeks on the PGA Tour, you know, the talent level is so good. And you see it on the European Tour as well. Uh, just fantastic finishes week in and week out. You just don't see those runaways anymore. One of the things about Riviera, now obviously Riviera is one of the highlights of the PGA Tour. People talk about this very, very special golf course for some bizarre reason. Maybe it's the lack of fans and, you know, that it was relatively empty this week. It's the first time really where I'm looking and I'm going, oh, my God, this is an amazing looking golf course. What is it about Riviera that makes it so special for the players? It's a proper golf course. It really doesn't suit much of any style of play. I mean, we've seen Bombers win. We've seen the strategists win. It, you just got to know where to place it around that place, and you can't overpower it. I mean, we saw it, you know, especially this week when it's firm and fast. You got to play from the fairways. Even though there wasn't any rough, when you were in the rough, you just can't attack the pins where they were. And when the greens are firm and fast, I mean, just watch out. I mean, you have guys trembling over one, two, three-foot putts, which you usually don't see, you know, from the best in the world. And Pebble Beach was the same way. I mean, you get guys just – those knee knockers become real knee knockers for the pros as well. But uh, Riviera, I mean, when the sun's out, the golf course is spectacular. Uh, yeah, you know, we didn't have the fans this year. You know, I saw a couple highlights. I know they would have gone berserk when Max stuffed it in there on 18. And then the resounding groans would have been unbelievable. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I think Max had the benefit of having – you know, not having fans there when he missed that one. And maybe those groans getting into his head – going into playoffs and, you know, instead, you know, just kind of able to laugh it off. It was a poor stroke and let's move on and do our best in the playoff. And I think that might've helped Max this week. Oh, have you ever missed a three footer on 18? <laughs> I don't want to count how many times I missed a three footer on 18. <laughs> Cause I think I saw the stats were uh, for the PGA tour pros in general, that something like 99.3% a make percentage from where Max Homa was, but obviously they don't take into account the 72nd hole of a tournament looking for a PGA yeah, tour that, win. But- yeah, especially that putt there, too. I mean, it's got just a little bit of a hook to it, slightly down the hill. And, yeah, it's, it's just one, you know, normally you're going to make 95 to 100 on those greens. But, yeah, when it's to win, I, I didn't see what the final uh, prize money was. But let's say it's around $1.3, $1.4 million U.S. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a little more than you bargained for, but it's definitely a position you want to be in. He he, 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 he looks like he – sorry, uh, Fionn. He looked like he healed it a bit. Uh, yeah, it didn't, didn't come off square. No, it came off kind of, he was aiming a little bit right and healed it and it it came off straight, which Mm. was always going to lip out your worst kind, missing it low side. Yes, that's life. He was 55 of 56 putts made from inside three feet last week until the 18th, which, (laughs) you know, like... It's not his putting stroke. Like, obviously, I mean, Peter says he healed it a little bit. It wasn't a good stroke. Talk to us. Like, I'm watching it and I'm watching it with my wife. And my my wife said, do you think she do you think you'll make the putt? And she looked at it and she went, of course, you'll make it. It's tiny. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But it's like there's a win on the line here. This is this is pressure, the likes of which we just can't fathom but obviously guys like you and peter can fathom it pretty well i was fortunate enough in my uh, my two wins on the pga tour where i had a, a two-stroke lead on the final green at quicken loans and rolled in about a 35 footer and and when i won barbasol i had a you know a little one foot tap in you know i didn't have to think about it too much 
but uh, I can remember one time for sure, 2014, trying to keep my job playing the FedEx uh, Open in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And I had about a 10-footer for par on the last to finish solo second, which was a big chunk of change for me at the time. And it was really the only time I've ever thought, you know what, this putt's worth $300,000, $400,000. And, and I went ahead and, and I slammed it in. But Typically, the pros really aren't thinking so much about the money, but it's like you said, it's that three-footer for the wind with a little bit of break. That's the one you're going to think about a little bit. Hmm. And yes, Peter, you, the, you talk the, a the, lot about it. Sorry, go on now. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. The next time you're in contention, and Peter, I'm sure you, you were in similar positions as well. The next time you're in contention, Troy, and you're standing on a putt on 18, they'll say he never felt pressure like this. Yes, <laughs> the pressure when it's your livelihood at stake, I'd imagine is so much more intense. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it's nice to have it for the win, but a lot of guys have those on the 18th to make the cut, to keep their job. I mean, the, there's a lot of different, you know, pressure putts you can have on that 18th hole from three feet that uh, that aren't just for the win. Then, uh, yeah, guys feel them all the time. I mean, even on the on the PGA Tour, on the European Tour, guys are going to feel those three-footers, especially when they mean a whole lot at the end of a golf tournament. Uh, Troy, uh, talk us to Friday. Um, I see you played with Martin Large and Brendan Todd. Um, all struggling to make the cut, I see. Or, well, everybody was right on the bubble, uh, and unfortunately, it didn't happen for anybody. It's always a, it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? Come Friday, when everybody's kind of, you know, minding each shot, no matter what happens, you're always going to be right on that bubble. Yeah, I mean, all three of us were battling. I mean, those guys uh, both got off to a great start on Thursday. They eagled the first hole. And uh, both ended up shooting over par for the day. But that's Riviera. I mean, we all played real solid. And I had 16 pars and, and two bogeys on Friday. And uh, I think I was tied for third in greens and regulation, second in pars made for the first two days, and I happened to miss the cut. I just been hit it close enough to get a birdie to drop on Friday. Uh, Martin, he hit it into about two and a half feet on number seven, which was our 16th hole on Friday. And he didn't even hit the hole. I mean, that, that, that's his made cut right there, had he been able to knock that one in. And Brendan, the same thing. I mean, he he had two late bogeys and then uh, ended up missing by one. And yeah, we were just all right there and and just uh, just couldn't quite get over that that hump. And, but Riviera will do that. I mean, it's nice when you know a cut is even par. We don't get to see that very often. You know, a lot of times now our cuts are four or five under par, and it's just yeah. you got to play lights out and finish you know in the top forty for two rounds against you know some of the best in the world just to to get a paycheck and play the weekend. So. It's not easy anymore, but uh, yeah, we were all grinding it out. And unfortunately, Riviera got the best of us this last week. I heard Potter Carrington talk about that being the major differences between the European Tour and the PGA Tour, and that the scoring is so low on the PGA Tour that if you're one of the late starters on a Thursday, you can be teeing off and somebody is already on seven, eight under par. <laughs> and the mental pressure that puts you under right from the start, knowing that actually a level power round or a one under power round probably isn't good enough and is going to make life very difficult if you want to be winning tournaments. In comparison, I think, Peter, maybe with the European Tour where scoring can be that little bit tighter and actually hanging in there is, is as valuable as anything else. Depending on the golf course, really, Nathan, you know, uh, European Tour, we had five, six undercuts or then you might go one to two overcuts. Um, but like you said, when somebody shoots a low number early on the Thursday, you're going out. And, and I don't know, maybe uh, Troy will be able to you know, speak of this as well. As when you're on a run and, and you've missed a few cuts in a row, literally that's the figure that nearly comes into your head at the start of the week. 
you know, when you tee off on a Thursday and you think, right, well, what's the cook going to be about level par? And you always seem to be fighting on a Friday afternoon. You're either one, one, either above it or below it or even on the cut line. And you think to yourself, like, you know, how did I get to this stage? And, and unfortunately, that's what happens. And then you move on to, you know, contending. Yeah, it's, it's a strange thing. Like you said, you know, there's a lot of guys that do a great job of thinking going into the tournament, you know, what do I need to do to win this golf tournament? But there are more than enough, especially as you said, when, you know, you've missed a few cuts in a row. You know, what, what do I have to do just to get to the weekend? And you ultimately always find yourself on that cut line. And for the most part, usually you're not playing poor golf. You know, a lot of times, it, you know, it, it just happens. You make a few birdies and all of a sudden something weird happens. You make a bogey or you make two bogeys in a row and you, you find yourself right on that line on a late on late on Friday and, and you're in full grind mode. And like you said, how did, how did I get here? But uh, yeah, I mean, week in and week out, I mean, you see it on the European tour as well, sometimes four or five under rarely any, anymore. Do we have, you know, one, two over par cuts anymore. And even then you're playing solid golf, you know, the golf course or the conditions are just getting better. And uh, over here, and then I know it's over there as well, but the players are just so much better now too. I mean, it's not like uh, they set these golf courses up, you know, really, really easy. I mean, I, I, and I remember, I think it was 2011 showing up at the John Deere. I was playing in the afternoon on Thursday and Paul Goidos had just shot 59, 12 under and Steve Strickland <laughs> shot 11 under 60. You're 12 back and you hadn't even teed off yet. I mean, what, what am I going to do today? <laughs> oh my God. What did you do? <laughs> I probably shot one or two under, and then, you know. Probably shot even yeah. the next day and missed the cut. Missed the 300 par cut and you shoot under par. Like, well, all right, nice. let's try again next week. But uh, Troy, Troy uh, sorry, sorry on, I, I, I'll interrupt you just one last time. On Friday, uh, with the delay, um, was there a lot of players giving out about how the course was set up with the wind? Oh, on Saturday when it was blowing? Sorry, Saturday. Uh, you know, I, I had left early on Saturday. I had noticed that a wind advisory was in effect, that it was going to be blowing 15 to 25 with gusts pushing 40 mile an hour. And having played, you know, all week, knowing how fast and firm those greens were and where the slopes were and where the pins were going to be, I was wondering if there was going to be an issue. And, yeah, it turns out, yeah, wind delay. I mean, we saw putts rolling off the green, you know, mm. balls flying all over the place. And, unfortunately, you just can't play when that happens. Mm. I, I, sorry, um, I wanted to ask you about just like, obviously when you have your card and you're playing week to week, it's a marathon, it's not a race. So, but how do you, like, how do you, when you, you wake up on a Friday morning and you're out and you're going, okay, this is the number I've got to shoot to be here for the weekend. And when you're battling that number, like what's the mental thing that you do to kind of just keep yourself positive, keep yourself going. And if you miss the cut, you know, you know, I didn't play so badly. I'm, I'll try again next week or next time I tee it up. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Let's say, you know, you got to go out and shoot three or four under par. You know, you got to put a good round together, but you also know that you can't do it on the first hole. I mean, you can put yourself out of it on the first hole, and I think that's kind of the driving factor. You know, I know I need to go out and make some birdies, but I also need to make sure that I make stress-free pars and not make any mistakes. And that helps keep you, um, it, it, you know, in the moment playing that hole. You know, and then, you know, you add each hole up, you know, find a birdie every few holes. And then, you know, hopefully by the end of the day, you find that three, four under par. But it's just kind of that, uh, that knowing that, you know, a bogey, you know, uh, it's going to be a lot harder. You know, I got to make this as stress-free as possible. It's already stressful trying to make the cut as it is. But to trying to get those stress-free pars, find a couple birdies, which usually isn't an issue. I mean, you know, guys don't go 18 holes without making a birdie. 
like I did on Friday. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a stressful enough gig and you try to make it as stressful as possible, even on the days when you got to go out and shoot three, four, five under par. When you've had a run of six weeks, I'm sure you're just glad to get home uh, and get <laughs> the break for the next couple of weeks. But are you beating yourself up all weekend about missing the cut? It was a tough one to swallow. It really was. You know, when, like I said, when you're T3 in greens and regulation, second in pars at Riviera, you know that par is such a good score out there and you know, shoot one above the par line and miss the cup by one. It, it is a tough one to swallow, but uh, you know, you can't do anything about it. You got to learn from it, move on. You know, what did I do well last week? I hit the ball pretty well. What did I do not do well? I didn't hit it close enough and I didn't make any putts really from outside of 10 foot. I think I made one putt outside of 10 feet all week. And the putter has been a little bit of an issue for me about the last eight months or so, which has always been the strongest part of my game. So it's just been a, a long time in the trough. So just working on that, on that putter, trying to get it back to the peak and, and try to keep that ball striking where it is. And, you know, when it all comes together, we'll find uh, ourselves in good positions on Sunday afternoons. I know it's a stupid question because if you knew the answer, I'm sure you would have fixed it by now, but the statistics do bear that out when you looked at the various different strokes gain stats from the last couple of years, while some have fluctuated here and there, it is that quite steep decline in terms of the putting. Was it a sudden issue? What, what, what's changed? You know, I, you know, I could go through peaks and valleys just like everybody else with the putting. Uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm in a pretty good valley right now. And, you know, when you start missing putts, and, and I started missing some shorter putts, three, four, five feet, and there's been a year or two on tour where I've led the tour in, in percentage made from three to five feet. And to, to then to go to a bit of a weakness is, is a bit of a shock, and it starts to kind of eat on your confidence just a little bit. You know, when you're putting from 20, 25 feet, you know, I usually try to still hit it in the back of the hole. But when you know you're struggling on that comeback putt, you start being a little less aggressive trying to kind of cozy it up there. And that's when you start, you know, working that mentality of, am I going to make this? You know, am I going to make the one coming back? It's not, I'm going to make this putt. And, and that's, you know, kind of where I'm trying to get back to more of a mental thing than anything, because the stroke is fine that, you know, the reads are fine, but it's just trusting the process and trusting that the read is right and hitting it firm enough to actually hold the putt versus, you know, will this go in if I get it close enough? And, you know, that's just kind of the thing. It's kind of a mental thing right now. I used to have a caddy and he used to shout at me the whole time, only good putters three putt from 10 feet. <laughs> you know, you so, know, that's the point. And he's you know, with, so true. You yeah, know? you know, with, you know, with my couple wins, even when I was winning as a kid, I might throw in two, three, four, three putts, you know, throughout the tournament, but it's because you're being aggressive and you're making putts. Yeah. Troy, um, one thing that when I played on tour, I used to have this uh, thing about private jets um, and I never was able to play well enough to get on them other than getting a lift on a few of my friends, <laughs> Harrington and whoever else used to have them. But uh, uh, in America, it, it seems everybody is sponsored by either NetJets or uh, Wheels Up. Just just looking from the background, you know, when you go to the airport, is the local airport just filled with private jets waiting on players to finish <laughs> and, and get out of there, or how does it work? At the local FBOs, yeah, you can, you know, it depends on the event. You know, it's always fun to fly into Augusta and see the the amount of private planes lined up on the runway because it's not a big airport but uh, i usually don't see that side i fly that private company called delta airlines oh yeah <laughs> oh, I like a it. premium economy i'm happy i don't have to pay for my bags I, i'm pretty excited about that but uh, there you go no i i did have a wheels up deal for one year 
uh, I had to pay for the membership. So it actually cost me money on the years. The only sponsorship I've ever had that cost me money. Uh, it was uh, an incentive based. It was the year that I finished uh, tied for third at Bay Hill. So I got two hours flight time and I don't ever fly privately. So my caddy and I, I'm a Pittsburgh Penguin hockey fan. And they were playing the Stanley Cup finals that year against the San Jose Sharks. And we were at the Memorial in Columbus. And on Wednesday night, game two was in Pittsburgh. So I said, listen, I've got two hours of flight time. I'll buy the hockey tickets. We flew up. We watched the game, went into overtime. We couldn't watch the overtime because we had to catch the flight back to Columbus. We made our tea time on Thursday. They won the game in overtime. So, I mean, that was, that was the two hours I used for my, 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 my hard work at Bay Hill that year. Wow. That is not what I was expecting. This is not the glamour. I thought you no, just rang them up and you said, this guy's bad week at Riviera. Need to get back home from LA. I'll be there in two hours. Off we go. Yeah. No, I was calling up Delta. Hey, I got, I got, you know, I'm on hold for an hour and a half. Hey, I got to cancel this flight, but I need one for tomorrow morning instead because I missed the cut. Oh, it's going to be an extra this amount. Okay. But at least I'm going to get home and see my kids. Uh, yeah, no, that's, I fly Delta. <laughs> that was like my life, Troy. I, I, I was expecting net jets and all the rest. <laughs> no, nope, You're obsessed with the private jets, Peter. This was oh, obviously yeah. a motivation I, for I, you. Yeah, I used to have an obsession about private jets. I don't know what it was, but I would just, that was the thing. Like when, when Porik used to give me a lift, I used to feel like a million dollars. You just get on the plane. No security? Oh my goodness. And it's a the one thing I learned very quickly was you get on the plane and you go, right, where do I sit? Because when people have their own private jets, they sit in certain seats. So you always ask the question, where do I sit? I'll sit down there, no problem. Do you want me to do trolley dolly? I'll do trolley dolly, no problem. That's that's that funny. I, I played an outing for Ernie Els, and he gave us all a ride on his jet from North Carolina up to New York. And immediately when I got on, you're right. You know, I asked Ernie, where are you sitting, Ernie? And he just pointed to the back. He stood, he was the bartender for the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> the Heineken was flowing. There was a lot oh, of stuff yeah. for me. I think I was probably on the whiskey. It's just Beatrice and Bri, guys. Beatrice and Bri. Um, it's, it's, you know that it's how times have moved on from uh, when Nick Faldo tells that story from when he was a young pro, must have been the late 80s at this stage, that he was saying that he would get on the plane, like just a commercial flight, and he'd look enviously to the left and go, okay, my aim is to play well enough that I can earn the money so I can fly first class. And that was the ultimate ambition of like the top players around the time. Never mind your private jets or anything like that. And now, yeah, it's all different. Yeah, I mean, I, I live in Boise, Idaho. Nobody else is up here. I'm a long way away from any other pros. So if I'm flying private, it's all coming out of my pocket. Yeah. So it is a lot cheaper to get that first class ticket than it is to fly private. <laughs> Actually, With the sponsorship deals, maybe it's hard to know. Sorry. It, it, um, so who, who has a private jet? Are, are there many? players who have their own private jet still uh i think you see a lot of guys that are teaming up to purchase hours or to use hours and kind of yeah. tag team i don't the guys don't own their own jets no so let me get this straight your sponsorship deal so did they get they get uh, their little logo on your t-shirt for a full year but it was totally incentive based uh, and you yeah, got two hours yeah. free flying i i paid that for the logo a great deal shirt. yeah no i remind my agent too of it to this day it was five years ago i said i paid for that logo on my shirt <laughs> although it did get me you know an experience and a, and a story to go to the stanley cup finals but not to say till the end yeah i don't have to pay for this nice soft logo on my collar those, those <laughs> the lads over there at Softco, they hooked me up with other stuff 
I'm just thinking we'll do some sort of a sponsorship deal with you where you end up paying us for the privilege of coming on and talking to us every month. (laughs) Yeah. Troy, Um, you you know it's going really badly when you're actually buying your own shirts. Never mind the logos. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, I was there. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was my first year on the nation right here. I had to buy your own shirts, your own pants. It cost it costs more, it costs my whole check most times just to get clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Come here. You said you mentioned you're you're living up in Boise which is, as you said, very far away from most other golfers. <laughs> is there any temptation to drag you and the family down to Florida to be kind of in the heart of golf? But also, I, I imagine there's some pretty good tax incentives for relocating there. When I first turned pro back in 2008 and 2009, uh, my fiance, my now, uh, now wife, she is my fiance at the time, I was like, you know what, I got to move somewhere warmer to, uh, to compete at this level. So we moved down. We lived in Phoenix for three, three years, uh, my first two years on the tour. And I found out that uh, we both hated it. We had our first uh, son, no family, no friends. My wife wanted to kill me when I would leave for six, seven weeks. And she had a cranky infinite home. And I also found that I played more golf in Boise in December than I did in Phoenix in December. So we moved right back up to Boise at uh, the end of 2012. And we've been here ever since. So Phoenix, so you're playing Phoenix Scottsdale, where the weather is like 355 days of sunshine. And you're yep. playing more golf in like sub-zero temperature in, in Idaho. Yep. I, uh, you know, I grew up in the north where it was a, a privilege to go out and play in the wintertime because the weather was never, was never good. So you took that opportunity to go out and play. Whereas in Phoenix, you had the opportunity every day and it just got old. It's like, no, I don't want to play golf. I just played for 10 months on the tour. I don't want to go out and play today. Okay. But, you know, up in, up in Boise, you know, we play most of the year up here. It is cold. You know, it's 30. 35, 40 degrees some days might be going 15, 20 mile an hour, but you go out and play and, it, you know, you find joy in it versus, you know, when it's sunny and 60 and everybody's out playing. Yeah, it's a thing to do. Well, you don't want to do that after a hard year on the tour. <laughs> you must be one of the few PGA players who isn't cold when it's 65 degrees like that. I find that extraordinary. You're watching a tournament and all of a sudden, like say, for example, in LA this week, I'm watching guys who are like all hooded up. I'm like, lads, it's like, it's 18 degrees Celsius. Relax. It's not like if you were Irish, you'd be out literally in shorts and a t-shirt. It'd be that warm. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. I mean, I lived in Minnesota for five years and I had friends who would come to school when it was minus 10, 20 degrees. Oh, they'd have shorts on. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's just, it's different. Yeah. You know, when you're from the North, you don't mind the cold and you know how to stay warm. So yeah, you might have a, a jacket on, you know, when it's, mm. 50 degrees out but you know you're not layered up in four layers and have a beanie on and no i mean i saw rory the other day having a uh, a beanie on and, and seemed like three layers on and i thought you know i played out just there just morning it was it was almost short sleeve yeah. weather <laughs> yeah but rory's been in florida too long the the, the days of hollywood soft. county down he's got he's gotten soft yeah. your, your soft. blood does thin out quickly when you move down south that's for sure yeah um Troy, in, so you've been a pro for a good long time now. What, if you were to kind of look over the course of, say, decade plus career in the, in the pros, what's the thing that you've learned that you didn't know back then? Uh, that you can make your own decisions and you can be successful making your own decisions. You don't have to have other people telling you what to do in order to be successful. Uh, you know, case in point, you know, I, when I first turned pro, listening to my agent, the agency, uh, he wanted me to get sports psychologists and trainers and, and nutritionists. And I was like, oh, man, I got to do all that just to be successful. 
that doesn't fit me. That doesn't fit who I am. It doesn't fit my behavior. It doesn't fit my golf game. So if, if I'd have known, you know, just, you know, have fun, play golf in the way you know how to play golf, you know, the way that uh, it got you to the PGA tour, just keep playing like that. You can be successful. You don't have to play for, you know, or tell you or play the way other people tell you how to do. They weren't telling you how to do it when you were successful growing up. They weren't telling you how to do it when you got to the PGA tour. Now they're trying to tell you how to do it when you're on the PGA tour. And, you know, I struggled for a few years trying to figure out who I was and, mm. and why I was there and how I even got there. And it finally dawned on me. That's why we moved back to Boise. You know, I, I was successful in the cold. I, I know my game. I can take, you know, months off if I need to, weeks off if I need to, not touch a club for three or four or weeks and be totally fine. That's just who I am as a player. It's who I am as a person. And, you know, as a result, I've been a mainstay on the tour with two wins now for the last, you know, seven, eight years. So, just, just be, know who you are as a person, know what uh, you need to do to be successful. And you don't have to listen to all the outside noise. I imagine that pressure outside influence never really leaves you because even there, when you're talking about your putting this year and you're talking about it being a mental issue, well, the obvious thing for anybody who's alongside you as well, maybe you should go and talk to somebody about that or get a little bit of advice to, to stay true to yourself. It can be quite difficult. And also you yeah. don't want to back yourself into a corner that actually will yeah, maybe tell us you know, the best thing. Yeah, for me, it's, it's keep it simple. You know, I, I know how to make putts. I know what's in there, but, you know, just seeing if you go in. I mean, when I played basketball, I was a shooter. Sometimes you went through a couple of games where you couldn't, you know, hit a, three, a free throw. You couldn't make a three-pointer, but you still knew you were a good shooter. You still had to keep shooting. You had to shoot your way out of the funk. Well, in golf, it's no different. You know, I'm not putting very well right now, but I have to keep hitting putts. And as soon as I start seeing them go in, I'm going to start making them again. But you got to go through the process, unfortunately. And it's very frustrating. But you know you're going to make putts at some point. You just got to keep with it. Peter, I heard yourself and I think it was Harrington and Damian McGrain talking about, uh, I think it's some uh, therapists and psychologists who would walk up and down the range pre-tournament, basically yeah. spot, looking for somebody who's showing any sign of weakness. Yeah, they're all gone. Well, they were gone my last couple of years out on tour. Uh, but they, they oh, there was a time uh, probably about 2009 10 and 11 um they, it was it was like they were all gathered together and you started playing a little bit poorly oh maybe you should go talk to this guy maybe you should go talk to that guy and uh, it was a waste of time half of them are <laughs> just as McGrain would call them shysters you know what i mean they they um they, they're just in it for the money they're not in it for to improve you they're they're um they're just looking for the percentage hit. Um, yeah, like yeah, exactly. And, and it's another thing then that you have to go through and not look, sometimes they're very good for people. Don't get me wrong. You know, some guys really like them and need them very badly. Um, and then other guys, like I, I'm listening to Troy there and that's exactly what happened to me, Troy. I, I, I foolishly started listening to other people and, um, you know, uh, and I went down just a path that I never came back out of, you know. Um, I was a decent, solid player. And then things started turning badly, sort of 2013, 2014, started listening to the wrong people. And hey-ho, I lose my card and that's me gone, you know. Okay, I was out of an age of, I was, I was 43 at the time, you know, but there was still lots of golf left in me. If I, if I had done exactly what you said there and just don't listen and just continue on, you know, your own way. Is it harder for both of you 
I mean, Troy, obviously you're doing fine, but for Peter, like to have that similar experience, you guys as pros, you're on the road a lot. You're away from home. You're away from the familiarity of, of the world. And so when things aren't perhaps going the way you want them to, is it not just natural that you'd be grappling around for, well, you know, what solution? And then you talk to other pros and they go, well, this worked for me. And you, you it's easy to convince yourself, oh shit, that, that could work for me too. So as, as you said, Troy, it, it takes that well, it takes time to figure out that who you are or to remind yourself of who you are. And, and, but that must be a very tough thing to get back to, you know, particularly as Peter says, with all of these distractions. No, a hundred percent. You're, you're correct. You know, and you know, like I said, my, my putting has always been the best part of my game. I don't tinker with putters. You know, I don't try out new putters. I stay with what I have. I know it's not the putter's fault. It's the guy wielding the putter, and, you know, I've had, you know, several reps coming up to me over the last few months. Oh, I'll build you this putter. I'll build you that putter. I've come home with 10 to 12 new putters and I'm still using putter, you know, the putter that I'm, you know, it's been my mainstay. So it's just, you understand that people are going to be willing to offer you advice, you know, willing to help you out. You know, some of it's going to be helpful. Yes. But a lot of it is, like I said, it's just noise. You know yourself better than anybody else. You know what's going to work for you and you just have to go out and do it. And, you know, everybody's a little bit different, you know, you know, like you say, when you're, when you're missing cuts on the road, you're away from your family. And now in the COVID world, you're stuck in your hotel room for 18 to 24 hours a day. If you've, you know, if you've missed the cuts. So it's a, it's a lonely time. You know, there's a lot of self-reflecting you can do. And there's a lot of just, I mean, you can get on yourself pretty easily and there's no outlet. You know, you're just stuck there in a dark room yelling at yourself. It's not helpful. You got to find, the positives and, and what you are doing, you know, if you're, if your putting is kind of struggling right now, don't let that seep into the rest of your game. Don't let it drag you down the rest of the way. Don't let it get into your mental game if you can. And just know that tomorrow's a new day. Things are going to, you know, turn around for you, find the positives, focus on those and move on to the next week. That's some Bob Rotella wisdom right there, guys. <laughs> and it's free. You know, you wanted free stuff. I'm bringing you free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> I think we're going to call this Troy time. This will be a new slot, Troy time, <laughs> yeah. uh, where you can give these uh, words of wisdom. Uh, I do hope over the coming months, Troy, we get an opportunity to, to delve deeper into your uh, career and the success you've had over the last 12, 13 years. I am fascinated by your victory at the Kodak Challenge because I remember <laughs> the Kodak Challenge. It was the moment where it felt as though golf had lost the run of itself. It had more money than it knew what to do with it. So they invented this new concept, which was basically they picked one hole per tournament and that score counted as a sort of imaginary overall tournament towards the end of the year. So 16 at Phoenix, 17 at Pebble, uh, 17 at Sawgrass, 18 at Pebble Beach. And you won it. A million quid. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a competition within a competition. And, you know, I think I made half the cuts my rookie year out there. But, you know, when I knew that I wasn't going to make the cut and you're playing, you know, 16, 17 or 18 right. on Friday knowing it was going to be your last crack at it, man, did that focus level turn up, you know, and I had, you know, I've got several stories from it, but I remember Las Vegas. It was the second to last tournament uh, of the year that year. I was tied for the lead with Ricky Fowler and Aaron Badley playing number 16 on Sunday. And I hit this hybrid into about 18 feet. I'm playing with Brett Quigley and I make the putt and I give it the biggest hammer fist that I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Brett just looks at my cat. He's like, what is he doing? He just made Eagle to go from tie 53rd to tie 47th. Like, what, what is he doing? My cat, he goes, he just took the lead in the Kodak challenge. Like, Oh, that's yeah, nice. Yeah. And they called it the million dollar challenge. But uh, you know, after uh, 
or before I got it, you know, the government got in there. So it was like the $560,000 challenge, which was still fine. That's like Eastwood, Florida. (laughs) You did win it in the right way in the end, though. It ended up as a bit of a playoff, didn't it, with yourself, Fowler and Badler? Yeah, we ended up going to a playoff. You know, both Ricky and Aaron were outside the country. Ricky had, I think, just won the Korean Open. Bads was down in Australia playing. We had our last tournament down in Orlando at uh, just outside Disney World. And both of them decided to come and play to try to make a birdie to tie me. And wouldn't you know, both of them made a birdie on either Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. And we went to that sudden death playoff for a million dollars. And uh, yeah, I hit a pitching wedge into about a foot and a half and, and calmly rolled it in. And yeah, it took home the, the million dollars from the boys. How did that pressure compare to fighting to save your card? Uh, you know, I, I finished 125th that year uh, on the money list, the last and final spot. So I was sitting there watching the guys come in all day trying to figure out if I'm going to keep my job and I think Johnson Wagner double bogeyed the 16th hole and finished third or fourth that year and had he finished second or better he would have uh, knocked me to the 126 spot uh, even though I shot bogey free 67 that final day and you know made the cut I made money that week I still would have lost my card but uh, yeah having having the fact that uh, that I so that was all card, the same week you kept your card that was, that was and you won the million I, Wow. I kept my card, and then they had us go play the playoff hole half hour later. Oh, my gosh. Wow. It, was a, it was a long Sunday, my rookie year. Where your emotions were there. Wow. Uh, I was I was drained. Uh, it was a pretty expensive yeah. dinner. I do remember that that night. <laughs> I'd imagine Didn't so. Matter. Didn't matter. I, just on the money side, it's interesting how you, you didn't know what the exact prize money was for winning last night. And... It was, I thought, one of the more refreshing sides of last night's victory for Max Homer was that, okay, the TV broadcasters have to talk about the FedEx points you've won and the money you've won and the world ranking points. He didn't seem to care. He just won his home tournament. It's something that at times it feels is getting lost, maybe because the type of players, the type of personalities that are coming out, they are just so driven. It's just so relentless. They win on a consistent basis. To have somebody come in who I don't want to, I'm not going to, call, I don't want to call him a journeyman, but who is somebody who still treasures that sort of victory was, uh, it was a really refreshing thing. Well, I mean, and Max is a great example. I mean, he experienced some pretty low lows, you know, a few years ago. And a lot of us have, we've, we've, we've seen the high side of the game. We've won on tour and we've seen the low side of the game. You know, you can't get in the fairway, can't make putts. You lose your card, you lose your job. You're back on the Monday tour, basically, you know, trying to Monday qualify and, and find a spot into a field. And then you come all the way back and you win again. I mean, guys that, you know, like I said, our mainstays that are winning a lot, yeah, the, you know, their struggles are different. But, you know, for the vast majority of us, our struggles are trying to keep our job, you know, and, and we appreciate when uh, we are in contention and we're able to, you know, sneak that win in from, from some of those mainstay guys or those, those, those stars to the game. Yeah, you know, the points are great. The money's great. The world ranking is great. But just winning and, and then knowing that you've come back from, from something so low to be able to come back and get that win. That, that's what's really special. Max Holmes seems like a good guy. Yeah, and he's a, he's a good follow on Twitter. He's a pretty oh witty guy. For sure. He's very yeah. funny. Yeah. He's really funny. Yeah, And very quiet. I mean, he doesn't talk a whole lot, but he, he's very funny. Who do you, like, who do you hang out with on tour? You know, uh, I mean, not, not so much these days in the, in the COVID world, but a lot of families travel now. Mine doesn't. Uh, they only go to about once or twice a year in the summertime. But uh, Robert Streb's probably my best buddy on tour, and Bryce Garnett. I played against him Division Two golf in, in college, and now he's on the PJ Tour, a winner as well. So, you know, kind of some of the uh, the, the maybe lesser known names out there. 
But, uh, you know, friendly with everybody. You want to stop, have a chat. We all know each other out there, players and caddies. We see each other every week. So, for the most part, everybody's friendly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a couple of guys that run with probably Robert Streb, Bryce Garnett. Mm-hmm. We, have a, um, we have a mild obsession uh, on this podcast with Jordan Spieth. Uh, where there's a lot of love, except for Peter. Except, except for, for Peter, Peter. He's not a true believer. He's, he's not a true believer in the greatness of Jordan yeah. Speed. Have you he's played a... much with Speed? You know, the first time I played with Speed was, I think, 2014, San Antonio at the Valero Open Saturday. I went out, I, I struck it well, I hit like 15 greens, hit 12 fairways, shot one over par. Jordan hit like four fairways, eight greens, and shot five under, chipped in twice, and it was, it was un- unbelievable. But uh, yeah, great guy, you know, great for the game. You know, hopefully we, uh, we see him be successful again. He's on a nice little run now and, and hopefully he continues. Hopefully he's figured out, he's got through his lows and now he's moving on. He's appreciating the game a little bit more now. And, and that's kind of, you know, what professional golf is, you know, you know what's your struggle going to be? Can you get through it? Can you get back to where you were? And, and kudos to the guys that can do that. He's, I'd say he's a lot of people trying to give him advice over the last couple of years. <laughs> hey oh, you got to shut it out and you know and figure out what's best for you and do that so what's the plan for the next few weeks uh, i think i'm gonna have the next couple off here you know i would have been uh, very happy to get into bay hill but uh, qualifications change just a little bit and i'm not going to be in i think i'm the 14th alternate right now so i think i'll have two weeks off and i've got the players championship which is a, a minor event coming up i mean not many guys go and play that one <laughs> but uh and then i'll play the honda after that and I, I you know i'm just in the in the position where i've got to play a lot of golf you know i'm typically a 25 to 30 tournament guy every year just because you know i'm battling to keep my card a lot and uh you know that's just kind of where i i sit again this year unfortunately is, we should say um, as well, uh, go on, Fiam, just before we wrap up. I'll... Well, yeah, just going to say is, is that like, uh, is, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but COVID is obviously this like unprecedented thing. Nobody's ever experienced anything like it. But has it been a negative for it, it just in pure terms of how it's affected your playing? Is it a good or a bad thing that there are no fans that, you know, all this testing, et cetera, it's the, just the kind of COVID atmosphere? Yeah, you know, it's a little bit different knowing when you have to, sh- when you show up on or, you know, to the to the city you're playing in, you immediately got to go to testing and get that swab shoved up into your nose, up touching your brain a little bit. And then you go sit in the hotel room for a couple hours, get your results. You have to go back to the test site, get your confirmation before you're even allowed to the golf course. So obviously a little bit of a, a different uh, wrinkle that we have now, but, you know, one that we've had to deal with now since the middle of June. So it's becoming a little bit more of the norm. Yeah. Uh, for me, I probably spend a little bit more time at the golf course now, a little more practice time, which is probably why I can't putt right now. I'm practicing too much. I got to go back to natural, just show up and, and tee Watching it up. more and, hockey. And you need to watch yeah. more hockey, Troy. More <laughs> hockey, yeah. Just get away from golf, I yeah. tell you what. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. no, it's, it's different for sure. But, uh, yeah, we're all trying to get through it. Does your love for hockey not just uh, dissipate instantly when you get to go to a Stanley Cup final? And then you got to leave before overtime. Oh man, I was so disappointed. I was very happy that they won on the cab ride back to the 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 private jet. Yes, I, t- I took a taxi cab to and from the private jet. You know, no car service. But uh, yeah, I, I love hockey. I love watching the Penguins. I've never put on skates in my life, having been a basketball player. And uh, big Cleveland Browns fan. We've got something to root for in in football. You know, American football. Sorry. To how, how are watch. you? You're from Iowa. Was born and in Iowa, raised in Idaho. You're a Browns fan. Yeah. You're, you like Pittsburgh and hockey. 
Like and, and and the, and the Pittsburgh Pirates and baseball. I can't. Oh, stand you're a Pirates fan of baseball as well. Yeah. All were that's very a... good when I was a kid in the late '80s, early '90s. Whoever's good when you're a kid, that's who you follow. I mean, I was a Michael Jordan fan, Chicago Bulls, and after Jordan left, realized I wasn't a Bulls fan. Don't really follow the NBA anymore. Right. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Uh, you mentioned uh, your sponsors there, Softco. We need to give them a shout out because actually the connection you have with Ireland is through Softco. You're one of their global brand ambassadors. They're a provider of financial automation solutions. Uh, you can check out softco.com. Anybody who's listening in and you've been to Ireland. You were here yes. about, was it a year and a half ago? Did you play a bit about of golf? A year and a half ago, yeah. First time. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, yeah, we, we had an outing. Uh, I can't remember the course. It's uh, fantastic. Uh, resort out there but uh, i just love the, the boys over at softco i mean it, it's such a good relationship such a good partnership uh, you know obviously you know they were dealing with all the the unprecedented stuff you know with covid and and getting through it and to, to maintain that relationship and that partnership's been pretty special uh fantastic people over there wish them the very best and uh, yeah hopefully i can get back over there and see them and you know maybe you guys as well and they're the best kind of sponsor they give you money instead of you paying them <laughs> yeah, they, they give me money to, and then I use it to come on and give you guys free advice. And it's just how it is. It's, it's yeah, brilliant. The you're, circle you're, is complete. You're in good company because the one, uh, I, I, I think maybe in Deliria you played golf because I was out there once at a softball yes. event because uh, you're yeah. in good company as an ambassador because Dan Carter and Ronan O'Gara are two of their ambassadors. I'm not sure if you're a big rugby fan. Uh, I enjoy watching it. I will say that I did have a chance to meet uh, Ronan. We took on some of the, the ladies from the, the Irish uh, field hockey team, uh, Katie Mullen, Aisha McFerrin, and uh, they put us through our, our paces on, on the field. Aisha tried to kill us both, uh, but uh, no, nah, it was fantastic to be able to meet Ronan and, and the girls and, and, and just, you know, just being part. Of, I mean, I loved Ireland when I was over there. I only got to spend about a day and a half, two days over there. I got to tour Dublin a little bit and fantastic place. I can't wait to get back over there. I'm sure yeah. it's cold enough for you. Oh, I mean, I'm from the upper Midwest here in the yeah. States. And minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, it's positively balmy then in an Irish winter. <laughs> yeah. We'll get yeah. you an invite into the Irish Open. How about that? Um, yeah, I mean, Just I before the need, British Open. I need to get That'd over there. Open. I know that. Yeah, I need to get over yeah. there. I know that. Yeah, you get your qualification sorted for the Open. You can come to Ireland for a couple of weeks in advance. You can get around all the good leagues courses. It'll be perfect preparation, and it'll all work out nicely. Uh, Troy, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Uh, hopefully, we check in again in a few weeks, maybe just before the Masters. You play at Augusta. If everything goes well over the next few weeks, who knows, maybe you'll be back there again this year. Yeah, I would love to play it again. Augusta was fantastic. Great stuff. Troy, thanks a lot for talking to us. Guys, I appreciate it. We'll see you, uh, we'll see you around the corner. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation.